Thank you for listening to the first episode of the What Is It series, where I attempt to take a subject of conversation that is prevalent in our everyday life and attempt to answer what it is fundamentally, and then understand the role that it plays in various aspects of society, such as culture, religion, race, sex, politics, etc. You know, thinking through what I wanted to discuss first has definitely been a challenging exercise for me personally. I wanted to start this series with something that I thought was meaningful and impactful, whether that be positively or negatively, and I also wanted to challenge my own thoughts and beliefs, and by proxy, hopefully yours as well. Ultimately, I landed on the topic of identity. I believe that this is a good jumping off point as it forces us to look at how the concept of identity, both in the individual and collective sense, is defined, and how it also impacts the world around us. Also, once we have this established, I believe organically more topics will present themselves. Now, for the disclaimer, I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I'm not doing this to coerce someone into believing a certain set of principles, ideology, or dogma. My personal belief is that if an authority figure or someone who likes to pretend to be one is telling you what to believe, how to believe, and chastises you for questioning why, is reprehensible. And the metaphorical high ground that they've chosen to stand on, whether it be from a moral, philosophical, or intellectual stance, tumbles like a house of cards. As always, I would encourage you to do your own research and come up with your own opinion. There are plenty of NPCs out there in our society today who espouse ideological talking points, like a Pavlovian test subject, or even cringe at the thought of critical thinking. I would urge you to not be like them. Now, before we begin, I'd like you to do something for me. Really sit there and think about this for a second. What is your identity? What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of your identity? Could it be your career? Could it be your position at work? Could it be your stature in society? Your academic accolades? Your political or religious beliefs? Finances? Gender? Really think about that for a minute. And is it just one thing, or is it the summation of all things that make up your identity? In this series, the first thing that I'll do is attempt to gain a basic understanding of the definition of each topic we'll be talking about. I think that this is fair, and it also establishes common ground and allows for more consistency in our journey to understand the subject matter more. In other words, we're all going to be reading for the same sheet of music here. For basic standard definitions, I'm going to be utilizing Merriam-Webster's dictionary terms as they are credible and pretty accessible to everybody. I will also be as transparent with the technology that I have at my disposal allows me to be, meaning I'm going to be putting links in the description of this podcast or reference other pieces of information within each episode itself. So with that, let's take a look at the basic definition of identity. Now, when you look up identity in the dictionary, There's multiple definitions that come to play, uh, five to be exact, but what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the first one, and it's got two subpoints to it. Definition is defined as 1A, the distinguishing character or personality of an individual or individuality. And then second, the relation established by psychological identification. Now, I think we're going to be focusing on these two today because what we're going to find is that we're going to take the concept of an individual's identity and place it into this collective like identity politics or religious identity or things of that nature. 
So now that we have the basic understanding of what identity is, let's go back and revisit the question that I just asked a few minutes ago. What do you think of when it comes to your own identity? Now, for me, the couple of things that just come to my mind off the top is, you know, I'm, I'm a male, a biological male. Um, if you were to identify me from like a driver's license or something like that, I'm white. Uh, I have blue eyes. I have, you know, brown hair. Um, but identifying myself as some type of personality or what makes me me is, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son. Um, I am in my vocation. I do project management. I play music. These are some things that I would use to identify myself or if I was to try to explain characteristics that make up who I am, that's what I would explain it as. So I would challenge you to do the same for yourself as well. So what I think is important is let's, now that we've understood the, the basic definition of individuality as it relates to identity, we also have this definition that says the relation established by psychological identification. So I think it's important that we find a credible resource from a psychology standpoint to understand what identity is and try to use it from some examples. So according to Psychology Today, they have a really good article on what is identity. Funny enough, that's what our episode is about, so it's perfect. So they preface it with the uh, questions, or they, they, they preface it and state, you know, everybody struggles with existential questions such as, who am I and who do I want my future self to be? And they go on to include that identity can also be made up of relationships that people cultivate um, and then also experiences that they've had as a child uh, and going through life, right? Uh, from a child to adolescence to teenage years, things like that. And also the relationships that they've had, friends, parents, loved ones, things like that. And then it also involves external characteristics, which the person has little to no control over, such as their height, their race, or socioeconomic class. Identity also encompasses political opinions, moral attitudes, and religious beliefs, all of which guide the choices one makes on a daily basis. So I think that that's pretty important, and we should kind of dissect that a little bit. Um, I completely agree with the the concept of identity has many different facets involved in it. It's not just one thing. It's a it's a multi layered, um, multi layered variables that make up your identity, and especially the experiences part. And I think it's important to to kind of distinguish that because if we look at experiences that we gain from a child to now, you know, I'm 33. The experiences I had when I was five weren't the same experiences that I had at 15. The experiences I had at 15 weren't the same as the experiences I had at 25. If you've listened to some of my earlier podcasts, you know that when I turned 32, I did a, my very first episode was 32 things I've changed my mind about. And those are things that either throughout time or in a short period of time, um, I had changed my mind on, whether it be from a popular talking point that I changed my mind on or my own personal experience. So I think it's important to understand that because we all have different experiences and we have things that we believed in. Like I believe that there was a, a red guy, a really fat red a guy in a red suit that went on reindeer and delivered presents to every kid in the world on one night. 
obviously a 33 that doesn't serve me well to believe in that so you get that you know as as basic as a concept or basic as an example that is you get my my point that as we go through belief systems change and then therefore i believe that your identity changes as well so let's look really quickly at these next two bullets here it says what defines identity Identity encompasses the values that people hold, which dictate the choices that they make. An identity, excuse me, an identity contains multiple roles, such as mother, teacher, and U.S. US citizen, for example. And each role holds meaning and expectations that are internalized into one's own identity. And identify can, identity continues to evolve over the course of an individual's life. So I think that's important to understand as well, is that not only... Do we have multiple layers and multiple roles, so to speak, in our identity? But we also have our own personal expectations as to what that means. Like if I was to say I'm a father, when I say that, I'm associating that word with a particular expectation as to what a father is. If you say you're a walrus, you have certain expectations as to what a walrus is, right? It's how we identify things. This is how we not only identify individual things, but this is how we use class systems and group things together that are identical or opposite of one another, things like that. So hopefully that makes sense. And I think that's a really good uh, simplistic breakdown of what that means. And then finally, how is identity formed? And I really love this part because it kind of goes wholeheartedly uh, in hand with what I believe wholeheartedly. Um, identity formation involves three key tasks, discovering and developing one's potential, choosing one's purpose in life, love that one, and finding opportunities to exercise that potential and purpose. So really, those three things are what gives almost life meaning, to be quite honest with you, when I read that at a very high level, is that when you go through life, you're discovering your potential as to what you could be. Because you always have this idea of what you are today, but you have this grand scheme in your head of what you could be given the right circumstances or given the right opportunities, things like that. But also with that, there has to be a little bit of accountability that I believe in, which is choosing that purpose in life. And that purpose, again, just like your identity, which is the purpose is the, the, the big, the big thing, right? At the very top of the page. And then your identity falls into that because the identity is going to go hand in hand with the actions that you take in order to achieve the goal or achieve the purpose, things like that. So if you're wanting to lose weight or if you're wanting to get a promotion, for example, you're going to embody the characteristics which are going to take part into your identity in order to achieve that goal. Hopefully that makes sense. That's how I interpret it anyway. So, And then also... When I, when I read through things like this, I can't help but think of different elements that go outside of just the simplistic definitions, right? I think about the concept of like the self, which uh, is a very, uh, very popular uh, psychological um, study, right? Um, basically, it's the cognitive representation of one's identity or their experiences. Um, and they go to talk about you know, when it comes to like self-awareness or self-esteem or uh, self-identity and the things that contribute to that, like we just talked about um, values and experiences, but also habits, 
um, socio, uh, socio, nor uh, social norms, role models that we have. And then also, you know, how much responsibility a person takes for their actions. Those are all part of it. And then you could read works like Carl Jung, who talk about the self as being kind of this wholeness between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And then also another big factor in establishing identity, I think, is this concept of nature versus nurture, which we all know from, you know, Charles Darwin and um, behavioral genetics and different evolutionary biologists that, that study these things. Basically, you're looking at your genetics and the environment, the nature and the nurture. And really, it's just which is it a balance between the two that helps determine your overall fate or your life and the decisions that you make. So I would definitely go check out some of those things that I just listed about nature versus nurture, the self, Carl Jung, who I really enjoy his work. He's got some stuff that'll really blow your mind. And of course, people that give commentary on, on psychoanalysis like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I know people are going to hate me in the comments for that one, but, um, Great mind, great speaker, and uh, very logical in his explanations. So that's just my opinion. And you don't have to like him, and that's totally fine. So now that we've gotten, again, the basic understanding of what identity is, and more of a psychological understanding of what identity is, we can kind of look at some of these concepts that take place in society today, whether it be from a political stance or a gender stance, religious stance, whatever the case is, you know, I, I, I stated a few minutes ago about how certain experiences when you were younger don't carry over or really necessarily serve you um, in life, you know, and that could go hand in hand with some of the expressions or some of the things that are coming into the, the, the popular collective or the mainstream about this idea of a child being able to change their gender, things like that. Um, Again, I would just use the example of five-year-olds believe that there's a red fat guy that runs around with eight reindeer and delivers presents in one night. That person really can't distinguish between fantasy and reality. And the only thing that I'll say, and this is my soapbox moment and I'll get right off, is that a child doesn't have the mental capacity to distinguish between fantasy and reality. How the hell are they going to make a distinguishing uh how the hell are they going to distinguish between if they want to be a boy or a girl, you know, the, the tomboy phases, the, I don't even want to say gender dysphoria because that's not what this is. That's not what I'm speaking about. You know, people choosing to, to be playing with other kids of a different gender or they dislike the other. I mean, there's all I'm saying is that, is that, the difference between reality and fantasy, sometimes they can't make that distinction. So they don't have the ability to even come up with their own identity. So having them have the ability to go through these procedures that can alter their life forever, whether it be hormone blockers or surgery or whatever, I don't believe that that's fair. And I don't believe that that's right. So that was my soapbox moment there. Um, again, not trying to change your mind. That's just how I feel. So what I wanted to discuss next is from a political standpoint, something that's really coming to the forefront over the last couple of years. And it's actually been around, uh, 
probably for about 50 or so years. You wouldn't think so, but this concept of identity politics. Now, we hear this getting thrown a lot, thrown around a lot by um, the left and the right, depending on whatever the talking point is, um, whether it be about race or whether it be about social issues or um, even in some cases, I think that you could throw economics in there as well as there's, a, you know, this idea of inequality um, when it comes to certain things. Um, so basically, without getting into any type of bias or any type of personal thought about this, the definition of identity politics, again, according to Merriam-Webster, is politics in which groups of people having a particular racial, religious, ethnic, social, or cultural identity tend to promote their own specific interests or concerns without regards to the interests or concerns of any larger political group. That, again, is Merriam-Webster's definition. So if you have a problem with that, go talk to them. Um, but what I did do is I kind of wanted to look up the history of identity politics. Um, I, I knew based off of other things that I've read and things that I've listened to that um, identity politics is a relatively new idea in terms of history itself. People tend to lump identity politics in with certain things that took place in the 16, 1700s, or even the 1800s, um, even with the formation of the country of the United States, but that's not necessarily the case. There, There's other terminology for the um, the way that things were handled either from a political standpoint or from a, you know, a political or racial or a religious hustler term for what they did to people and the way that they behaved and the laws that they put into motion. Um, that's just, that's, that's different than what we're talking about right now. So, you know, the, the concept again of identity politics is a relatively new one. Um, it was first utilized in 1970. Um, during the, uh, the the second wave of, of, of feminism. And I'll, I'll find the um, the workings of it here in a moment. I apologize. I meant to have that quote ready to go. So what they what they say here is and I'm quoting off of uh, Stanford's uh, encyclopedia, which is actually really good. Again, I'll post all of these in the uh, in the description below. So identity politics can draw on intellectual precursors from Mary Wollstonecraft to Franz Fanon, writing that actually uses this specific phrase of identity politics with any of its contemporary baggage. <laughs> they said it does not begin until the late 1970s. So I believe that that's a pretty historical and accurate uh, description of when it came into the forefront. Um, and then kind of given the history of it, the second half of the 20th century saw a lot of emergence of large-scale political movements, right? We saw uh, the second wave of feminism. We saw black civil rights in the United States, gay and lesbian liberation, um, things like that. Of course, for, for those that, that don't know, that don't know, these were all based off of injustices done to certain social groups, right? And essentially, when they they use the terminology of identity politics, they speak to it in terms of organizing um, and connected to an idea that certain social groups are oppressed, um, and that being of certain um, uh, racial or physical or socioeconomic stature would make one vulnerable to what 
what we know as cultural imperialism, meaning stereotyping, exploitation, violence, marginalization, things like that. Um, and, and then basically what's, what's critical about the word identity and identity politics is that it appears to be kind of the experience of the subject matter at hand, especially their experience with the social structures that have generated said injustice, right? And um, any possibility of a shared or more authentic way of resolving that issue. So therefore everybody has an equality essentially. Um, now, according to what this, this encyclopedia uh, page says is that thus identity politics rests on the connection between a certain undergoing and the subject position to which is attributed and hence on unifying claims about the meaning of politically laden experiences to diverse individuals. Sometimes the meaning given to a particular experience will diverge from that of its subject. Thus, for example, the victim of sexual violence who is told that they cause their own fate by taking risks when they believe their attacker is culpable. So that's just, uh, it gives you kind of an, an example of, you know, sexual violence in terms of how that's, how that's played out. Um, what you come to find, though, is that just like anything else, whether it be political, religious, whatever, is that there's always going to be fragmentations because the identity, again, the individual identity turns into a few people with relatively similar thoughts, but there's no two people on this earth that have the exact same thoughts and ideas. And then you get to this collective of people that want to fight for a cause or want to bring, bring forward an idea or suggestion. But what you always find in any group, again, take out, take out politics or anything like that, you're always going to have fragmentations or you're always going to have uh, infighting, so to speak. And there's there's actually a really good example of this where uh, if you look at the history of feminism, especially in the 60s and 70s, there was not really too many talks of women that weren't white, middle class, and heterosexual. Those three those three things, because those are very important distinct uh, distinctions, right? Um, because you, of course, you have uh, women of color feminists, you have uh, lesbian or gay feminists, you have uh, working class feminists as well, that they were less visible in in popular culture, it seems. Now, there's actually kind of a, a good example of this specific incident where uh, Shulamith Firestone wrote a book called The Dialectic of Sex. She said that racism is sexism extended. And her her version of the, the, the black power movement represented only uh, further uh, sexism between black women into a new kind of subservience to black men. Um, thus, for black women to fight racism, it was kind of to divide the feminist movement, which focused on, you know, as we all know, the feminist movement was challenging the patriarchy. Um, in different types of oppressions like that. So that's just one example of how the fragmentation took place based off of um, other injustices, right? So even with the feminist movement, you had kind of a fragmentation and a split in that between what was the, the popular mainstream, which was white middle-class women versus, you know, um, you know, black women, for example. And you kind of see this uh, in another example that I'll bring up and then I'll kind of, move on 
because I, I think it's important to kind of just hit a few examples uh, on different subjects within the identity, not just focus on the race or the sex or the religion or anything like that. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how even within something like an identity politics, whether it's on the right or the left, whether you want to believe in hierarchies or you want to believe in classes, things like that, that these things all kind of like naturally conduct uh, within themselves. And then again, they can either fragment or lead to a different movement altogether. And then there's an example of this when it comes to multiculturalism. Um, there's an example here uh, from a book, and I don't have the name right here in front of me, but it basically talks about how a country like Canada, for example, um, permits the various cultural identities of the residents to be preserved rather than assimilated. Um, even though that there was overarching uh, concerns about that. So there's this writer, uh, Susan Muller O'Kin argued that multiculturalism is sometimes bad for women, especially when it works to preserve patriarchal values in minority cultures. She goes on to say, if multiculturalism implies a form of relativism, a relativism that prevents judgment of or interference with the private practices of minorities, such as female genital mutilation, forced marriage, um, women being deprived of education, things of that nature. So again, it's, it's taking the idea of uh, Canada's concept of adopting multiculturalism and saying that it's a, a great idea to work as a collective. There's even noticeably concerns about that as it pertains to um, w women in, in that regard. So... And then finally, uh, again, just to kind of move forward, the last thing that I'll state is actually there's a really good uh, excerpt that I see from Francis Fukuyama on his book called Against Identity Politics, The New Tribalism and Crisis of Democracy. Again, this happens on both sides of the aisle, and that's very important to understand that it's not just somebody who could be identifying on the left based off of their uh, socioeconomic beliefs or their racial beliefs, whatever. Um, he gives a pretty substantial uh, argument against both the right and the left. And finally, he just kind of uh, summarizes it with, you know, the, the, the national identity of America must be revived and defended from attacks from both the left and the right. And he gives an example on the right white nationalists would like to replace the creedal national identity with one based on race, ethnicity and religion. And then on the left, the champions of identity politics have sought to undermine the legitimacy of the American national story by emphasizing victimization, insinuating in some cases that racism, gender discrimination and other forms of systematic exclusion are in the country's DNA. So, uh, again, when I when I read that, the over overarching point of that is that that you have to understand the history in order to prevent causing it again yes there's plenty of cultural issues to talk about and it's funny he goes on to talk about how the 20th century was focused on economic equality and how now in the 21st century is refocused kind of its its attention on cultural issues. So, and and neither one of them's incorrect. It's just it's just interesting and just an observation. And then finally, 